Good morning. My name's Sally. We're now going to hear from God's Word. And today's reading is from Luke chapter 22, verse 66, to chapter 23, verse 25. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you're the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me, and if I asked you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, are you then the Son of God? He replied, you say that I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We've heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he heard that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they'd been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, Why, what crime has this man committed? I found in him no grounds for the, penalty, for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for. 
and surrendered Jesus to their will. We've just come out of a really good week this week, you know, after all the rain and then the sun came out and uh, the announcements with, you know, the restrictions easing. As we sing today, as we sing with all our hearts content, I find myself accidentally humming because I'm so used to humming. I'm in the habit of humming. But it's great that we could be together and uh, we're going to look at this passage today, which really is the passage before the Easter passage. We're gearing up for the good news of Easter. We're looking at the story before the Easter story. This is a chance to prepare ourselves for worship as we enter into the Easter week with Good Friday this coming Friday, less than a week to go. So the key verse today we're going to look at in the passage is verse 67 on the screen. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. So this is the conclusion and the question in one verse. The conclusion by the council, no, he is not the Messiah. But that's what they decided long before the council. And the question that we're left to ask as the reader is, but is he the Messiah? Did they get it wrong? That's the question that we ask ourselves today. The conclusion, no, he is not the Messiah, was so predictable after everything we've heard in this series so far with the the clubs that they brought to arrest him and then at the end of last week's passage they were beating and hitting him prior to the trial. Why did the Jewish leaders want Jesus killed? It's a big question. But just to uh, step out into our local community for a minute, last year at Passover, which is today in the Jewish calendar, they celebrated last night. I don't know if you heard anyone near your house in St. Ives, but people were celebrating last night. But last night, uh, sorry, last year during Passover, my Jewish neighbour said to me, is it true that churches teach that Jews killed Jesus? And he was anxious about the idea. Um, because it's an anti-Jewish mindset. And the Jews have suffered so much through so many generations. Uh, We can't underestimate it in all places, in all time. I'm not just talking about, you know, the world wars. And um, in fact, we we can't underestimate even them. I was sitting uh, in January with my neighbor on International Day of Commemoration which is the 27th of January in memory of the victims of the Holocaust. And as we talked about what seems a bit foreign to me, it's something I learn about in history, it's actually family members and history for our Jewish neighbours and perhaps for some of you too, very close to the bone. The Jews have suffered so much. Apparently in the Middle Ages, people who called themselves Christians massacred Jews and held them responsible for killing Jesus. So this is, this is in the history books, which is why my neighbour is anxious about what it is that we might be teaching. It makes sense to me that the Jewish community are anxious. And you can find that our local neighbours can be a little bit um, 
just generally on edge. If you go past the local Jewish school and you see extra security guards than what you're used to in a typical Sydney school, and then they're carrying guns as well, which is something a bit foreign to us here in Sydney. But in Israel, everyone knows how to fire a gun because Israel is constantly at war, and so you need to learn how to fire a gun. And so people that are Jewish really want to know, do we teach that Jewish people killed Jesus? Are we anti-Jewish? And on the surface, when we look at this passage, uh, some people might feel that that's what we're saying and, and preaching, I guess. But if we look a little deeper, I'm sure you'll appreciate that this passage is not anti-Jewish at all. In fact, it calls us to question ourselves and all people. Um, there was no one standing with Jesus when he was crucified. He was crucified alone, and it was the fault of all of us. But uh, I want to say this for the benefit of my Jewish neighbors, who I actually really hope are watching or will look at this later. Um, and I also say this for our benefit, because as a community, we need to show respect to our local Jewish neighbors. Uh, I'm experiencing in my own way a lot of respect from my local Jewish neighbors. Uh, each year, some of our neighbors at Easter have been giving chocolate to us. The Jewish neighbors are happy to say happy Easter to us and give us chocolate. So I've been a bit encouraged by their good example to want to also return the favor. Uh, yesterday we gave a bottle of wine to one of our neighbors and they showed us inside their house at all of the decorations for the Passover. And it's huge. There was 40 or so people coming over today. And uh, it's as big for them as what we experience at Easter or Christmas. Very religious. The, the passages are read. Often at Easter and Christmas we say Happy Easter at the family dinner table, but do we open the Bible? The Jewish community today are opening the, the Torah and they're reading this together. And so um, to be good neighbors to our Jewish community, it's good to understand what's going on. Uh, also encouraged recently to hear members of our community have been praying for the local rabbi, Gad Krebs, who recently had a major health concern, is uh, back to speaking and online these days. So we thank God for the way that Gad Krebs is recovering. But why do we do all this and why am I even mentioning this? It's because we want to make it very clear that we are not anti-Jewish. In fact, Christianity is from the Jews. Our Bible is almost entirely written by Jewish people. When we go to Bible college, we learn Hebrew so that we can study the Old Testament because it's written in Hebrew. And, uh, and it was passed on to us by the Masoretes, the Masoretic Jews, who've preserved it so that we can have our Old Testament today. But it's not just the Old Testament. The New Testament is mostly written by Jews as well. If you think about the New Testament, uh, all the first Christians were Jewish. And those Jewish Christians believed that Jesus, the Jewish man, was the Jewish Messiah who fulfilled the Jewish scriptures. So now I, as a Gentile, have come to believe the Jewish Messiah is my saviour. And in that sense, the Jewish people truly have become a light to all of the world. And so back to the Jewish community who may be watching this, I just wanted to express 
our ongoing respect and care for you, and we are deeply respectful for our Jewish heritage. But we deny the verdict of this Jewish council who condemned the Messiah. And this is not a verdict that we can accept, nor is it a verdict that all Jews have accepted. Many Jews have come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And uh, those Jews in the beginning who became Christian were so passionate that they went from synagogue to synagogue and all over the region Jews became followers of the Messiah. But at this council that we're looking at today in the passage, this assembly of religious leaders reject Jesus. They ask him the question, if you're the Messiah, tell us. They're not really asking the question. They don't, they're not looking for the answer as though they're interested to find out. No, this is a prosecution. They're looking for a confession. This is a trial. They want to condemn him. So to get the outcome, they're questioning him. In verse 71, we know that it's a prosecution because they say, why do we need any more testimony? We've heard it from his own lips. But they don't have the authority to, to, to fulfill what they seek to carry out. So they bring Jesus before the Roman government, the Roman prefect Pilate, who has more legal authority than they do. And Pilate asks Jesus a very similar question, are you the king? We see it in verse 3. Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? This is a really wise question. Some people portray Pilate like he just goes with the flow and is not very intelligent and, you know, he just is an, un, an unjust person who's, uh, you know, making all kinds of mistakes all over the place. But just pick, pick up on the wisdom of his language here. He takes the root of the complaint that the Jews have delivered to him. He uses their own language, but he removes the inflammatory comments and raises it with Jesus in a neutral way so that Jesus is able to reply. So this is a fair question. Are you the king of the Jews? King, Messiah? Same concept. Jesus doesn't really answer the question. It's like he puts the emphasis back on the questioner. And that gives us pause as the reader to think, what do we think? Is Jesus the king or not? In the end, Pilate's not convinced that Jesus deserves death. And so he says in verse 4, I find no basis for a charge. But the Jewish people push back. And in verse 5, they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. They call him a stirrer. And uh, when they mention Galilee, that's a trigger for Pilate. Oh, he's from that region. That's the jurisdiction of Herod. And so Pilate sends him to Herod who's in Jerusalem at the time. There's an odd fact in verse 12 about Herod and Pilate that puts us in history. So verse 12, that day Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they'd been enemies. Nice to know they became friends that day. 
What's, why is that detail there? It, it grounds us in the history of this moment. And to take us back to the Roman history, uh, you can see this on, you, know, you can research this, that um, the leadership of the Roman Empire is quite turbulent. It moves around. And Herod the Tetrarch, the, sorry, Herod belonged previously to a tetrarchy where Herod's own brother used to be the ruler in this area of Jerusalem. But he was voted as incompetent. And so he got pushed aside from being the ruler in the area. And the Roman emperor established Roman prefects in this region instead. But Herod was still leader in the north. And then there's this pilot fella in the south. And they've come up through two different leadership structures under one empire. And this is the day that they became friends. But it highlights the political turbulence. And when the Jews are seeking to get an outcome, they need to make the most of this day because who knows what leadership challenges tomorrow is going to bring. And so they work the system. They're not succeeding. As Pilate says in verse 14, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and found no basis for your charges against him, neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. So the Roman leaders were clear, he does not deserve to be condemned to the cross. He does not deserve to die. It's not working. But the Jewish community are so passionate about this outcome that they raise the volume. Their shouts prevailed. Verse 18, it says, But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Verse 21, But they kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. And verse 23, With loud shouts they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. Why was Jesus crucified? Not because he was condemned as guilty, but because their shouts prevailed. The Roman government didn't care enough to pursue justice for this man, Jesus. And the Jewish council was so passionate that they wanted Jesus killed, that their shouts became louder until they prevailed. And they condemned Jesus as worse than a murderer. They said, release Barabbas, the murderer. Release Barabbas, the insurrectionist. They condemned Jesus as worse than a murderer. They condemned Jesus as more of a troublemaker than an insurrectionist. But was Jesus worse than Barabbas? In the end, Jesus was crucified and Barabbas was set free. What do you make of that? Is Jesus the Messiah? That's the question for today to prepare us for Easter. Is Jesus the Messiah? Going back through different parts of Jewish history, more modern Jewish history, there's uh, a lot of reference to Rambam, in the 12th century, a Jewish uh, rabbi, we know him as Maimonides in the English-speaking world, 
Uh, he, he explained why Jews through the generations reject Jesus as the Messiah. In his words, Can there be a greater stumbling block than Christianity? All the prophets spoke of Messiah as the Redeemer of Israel and their Saviour who would gather their dispersed and strengthen their observance of the mitzvot, the commandments of Moses. In contrast, Christianity caused the Jews to be slain by the sword, their remnants to be scattered and humbled, the Torah to be altered, and the majority of the world to err and serve a God other than the Lord. In other words, Jesus, to many Jewish people, is not the Messiah because he doesn't fit the expectation. The Messiah is meant to gather the the scattered Jews, but Christianity has scattered them with persecution. The Messiah is meant to bring the righteous observance of the Mosaic law, but Christianity has apparently altered the laws. The Messiah is meant to lead people to serve God, but Christianity has set up an idol, so they say. And then Rambam adds this punchline. If he, the so-called Messiah, did not succeed to this degree or was killed, he surely is not the Redeemer promised by the Torah. Any Messiah who dies does not fit the expectation. Well, we are a church. We believe Jesus is the Messiah. Instead of defending Jesus at every point that Rambam makes, which wouldn't be practical in this last few minutes of the talk, I do want to finish by offering some insights about how even though Jesus is not the Messiah that the Jewish community were expecting, he is very worthy our attention and the attention of the Jewish community. Is Jesus the Messiah? Let's take a quick course through Luke's gospel. This is what the disciples taught. When Jesus was born, angels appeared and announced that he is the Messiah. When Jesus is brought to the temple as a child, Simeon, the prophet, takes him in his arms and says, yes, this is the consolation of Israel that we've been waiting for, the Messiah. When Jesus began his ministry, he opened up in the synagogue the scroll of Isaiah 61 and read this out, the Yeshayahu 61. And when he read out the prophecies of Isaiah 61, he finished put the scroll away and said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And then that becomes the backdrop to the gospel story when Jesus goes out and he heals the sick and opens the eyes of the blind and he heals lepers and tells them to go to the uh, temple to, to offer themselves to, for the cleansing rituals uh, because he himself is healing people in line with the expectations of Isaiah. But the Jewish community who watched this still couldn't accept 
him. Why is this the case? Luke gives four reasons that the Jewish leadership rejected Jesus at first. Four reasons they rejected Jesus. Firstly, he spent too much time with sinners. 5.30, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Because Jesus obviously spent a lot of time with people that needed to repent. He was calling people to repent. He wasn't condoning sinful behavior, but he was calling people to righteousness. The second reason they rejected Jesus is because he broke the Sabbath. Chapter 6, verse 2, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? We, we remember Jesus defending his activities on the Sabbath. What did he do on the Sabbath? He healed people in line with the prophecies indicating that this is actually God's intent of the Sabbath and for doing good. And he challenged the rituals and traditions of the community, saying that these are traditions of men and do not ultimately have all of their origins in the Scriptures. So he criticized the religious leaders, which is another reason they couldn't accept him. Chapter 11, verse 45, When you say these things, you insult us, they said. Jesus had insulted them because he'd critiqued them. He'd corrected them and uh, did this via scriptures. The last reason they rejected Jesus is they felt that he claimed too much for himself. Chapter 5, verse 21. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy after claiming that not only was he able to heal that particular person, but it was a demonstration of his authority to bring the forgiveness of sins. Too much, the Jewish community said. So they rejected Jesus because he wasn't the Messiah that they were expecting. Christians find it so hard to imagine how anyone could be a Jewish person and not receive Jesus as the Messiah. He seems to fit this prophetic story so beautifully. But it's because Jesus didn't give people what they were expecting. No one was expecting what Jesus did. Not even his own followers were expecting what Jesus did. Jesus said to his own followers, How foolish you are and how slow to believe. Could I get this on the screen, please? How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? He had to suffer? What? That doesn't make sense. Jesus is saying, no, that is part of the prophetic picture. Even the disciples were not expecting this. Because they, like every other Jew, were expecting something more physically tangible, more grounded in Jerusalem, in the city of David at that particular moment. Someone who would gather the people you know, where the mosque is currently sitting on the Temple Mount in Israel in the old city of Jerusalem. There's a mosque at the moment. They're waiting for someone to take this temple and rebuild it and to gather the scattered Jews into that location in physical Israel. And then they could practice all of the commandments of the Mosaic law. This is the Messiah they were expecting. Jesus didn't fit the expectation. But then after the third day, after he died, he rose from the dead which is why we celebrate Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and Jew after Jew put their faith in the Messiah Jesus and they went from synagogue to synagogue to say that Jesus is the Messiah. Pay attention, let's look at what it says in the Torah and see that Jesus is the Messiah. And many believed. 
but he is an unexpected Messiah. And whether you see it or not doesn't make it true or false. Whether you believe he is the Messiah or you reject him as the Messiah doesn't make it true or false. It actually just shows what role you play in God's story. Because doubt is part of God's story. Doubt is part of the fulfillment of God's story. And doubt is part of the truth. So we're going to finish with this final reference to Isaiah chapter 53, Yeshayahu 53, a messianic prophecy that fits in the background to the Gospel of Luke that we're looking at today. It was referenced last week, and I'll reference it again today, but let's go through this. It prophesies doubt about the Messiah. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Prophecy from the Old Testament expects doubt about the Messiah. The Messiah is not what people were expecting. It goes on and talks about the trial of the Messiah. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. The Messiah would be judged unjustly and taken away without opening his mouth. Isaiah 53 continues and it talks about the death of the Messiah. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. Though he'd done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The, the Lord's will from the Old Testament is that the Messiah would suffer and die. This is God's plan, undeserved, but intended. Isaiah 53 continues with the resurrection. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, we will see his offspring and he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life. The Messiah would rise for life even after he had made his life an offering for sin. He would die and he would rise again. And doubt, a trial, a death, and a resurrection are all part of the prophetic story that anticipated the Messiah. The rejection of the Messiah is a symbol that this is the Messiah. So what part in God's story will you play? Will you be part of the fulfillment by doubting and rejecting Jesus as Messiah? Or will you be part of the fulfillment by receiving and welcoming Jesus as Messiah? The whole story has a different effect on you, depending on your willingness as you arrive and how you respond. You could come predetermined to reject Jesus, possibly be a little angry because you see Jesus doing more harm than good. Maybe you walk away a little bored or unaffected by this whole trial because you've predetermined that Jesus is not the saviour of the world. Or you could come with faith 
and an open heart to see a saving king leaving today, moved by this story, perhaps a little upset about the injustice of what was experienced, but thankful for his endurance and ready to celebrate Easter. For those of us who celebrate Easter, we see our Messiah dying on a cross. We see the injustice of this trial as the fulfillment. We see the Saviour suffering for our sake. We see his condemnation as our liberation, and we see his wounds as our healing. And so, come with faith in respect for this Messiah. Come ready with hearts to worship this Easter. Our respect to the Jewish community and our prayer for each other and for all our neighbours is that this Easter all would know Jesus as the saving King. Amen.